Hey everybody, welcome back to the Murder Board Podcast. This is the Civil Trials, the discussion show for the Murder Board Podcast. I'm your host, Walter. And tonight, I am here with, as always, Shelton. Hello. We have Hector. It's your boy. Solo's back. Hey, y'all. How's it going? And in her first episode of Civil Trials, Jeanette. Howdy, howdy. Yes, it only took 60 episodes, but we finally got you dead on one of these. <laughs> first of all, first of all, you never did a movie I was interested in. And this is probably the first time. I mean, I was supposed to be on Sabrina, but I worked that night. Yeah, fair. Yeah, so tonight we're discussing Midsommar. So if you haven't seen this movie, uh, this is your spoiler warning. And if you have, well, I hope you enjoy our show here. All right, guys. So last week... Our last show was on Hereditary. I praised it so much, and at the end, we kind of gave a little lead-in to my experience with Midsummer. So that's where I'm going to start off here, and then I'm going to shift over to you guys. But for me, you know, fresh off of Hereditary, absolutely loved it, craved more from this director, and he immediately announced Midsummer was coming out. Remember seeing the trailer? I thought it was weird, but I was in. I did go see it in theaters like I did with uh, Hereditary. I tried to have the same experience, but something felt extremely off when it when it came down to it. I went to go see it with my brother, and I just didn't feel the same. It didn't provide the same uh, experience that I had with Hereditary, even to like a very boring drive home. Which when I said uh, when I saw Hereditary, I was scared to drive home, but. Uh, that's just my experience. Quick, it's not as long as Hereditary is. It's just, I just, it's a right off the bat. I was just very disappointed, and I didn't know why. But from my memory, initially, uh, mainly Shelton and a part of our group here, he didn't like uh, Hereditary and kind of refused to see it, but was very excited for Midsommar. So my first question for you, Shelton, is: Do you remember what was why you were excited for Midsummer? I was excited for Midsummer because uh, I think after watching the trailers and stuff like that, it just looked like there was more active things going on, and it took a real. It, it had more of that like psychological horror kind of feel, but it didn't just kind of carry itself with that. Like there were actually things happening to be frightening, and in watching the movie, it's like, oh, 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 you, oh, you jumping? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there were a lot of parts in Midsummer that kind of left you like after they happened, you you're just sitting there like, "Holy shit, that just happened." And I didn't feel like that was the case with Hereditary. All right, I was totally on the opposite end. But let's shift over to let's start with Jeanette. Uh, do you remember when Midsummer came out? Did you see it in theaters or not? What were you excited for it? What was your, what's your experience overall? The first time you saw Midsummer. Midsummer, I was literally at a friend's house. And I was like, wow, Midsummer, like, cause, because, you know, I practice a little bit of witchcraft. I was like, oh, this has to be something witchy. And it was just a whole bunch of color in my face. Me feeling like I was going to have motion sickness and throw up. Excitingness, like, because, like, I love movies and enjoy movies where I can look inside the corners of every single, like, piece of the screen. And it means something. Like, I'm an overanalyzer. And when Midsummer is a movie that you can watch repeatedly over and over and over, and you can find something new. But Hereditary is the same way, though, too. 
and you can find pieces in Hereditary. I think it's just because of the director too, the writer and director. That's what he's notorious for. Like he doesn't just put a a pot here just to put a pot in this area. He puts it there because it means something. And you know what I mean? Like every little detail means something. And I think that's what I really did enjoy. The color schemes, the the fact that you can actually feel her pain. I think he did really good at like or the casting did really good at choosing um what's her name? Danny's uh, character. Yeah. All right. Uh, what I'm about pretty you? sure they oh. Oh, sorry. Go, go, I'm pretty go, go. sure they casted her. And was like, huh, how long can you cry for? You, you know what I mean? Like, they were like, like, how long has long as you ever cried? And she probably had to practice. I wonder what she was thinking of while she was crying. Oh, yeah. The acting choices are very interesting. Uh, what about you, Hector? Uh, what, do you remember your first time experiencing Midsommar? Honestly, Midsommar left a very good impression on me. Uh, the very first time I, I've seen it. Um, it leaves a really good one each time I see it, actually. I still think it's a great movie. Um, though, I don't know if I agree with the genre horror for um, Midsummer, Just because I don't... I don't know if it's just because I've seen it so many times. But it's just not as horrific as I would want it to be. For it to be a horror movie, but that's a that's a recent development of mine um, that I kind of see. That's kind of what I got from this time from watching it. Honestly, because I rewatched it today, I had great impressions the first time. Otherwise, all right, yeah. We last time when we talked about Hereditary, when you know you can go back and listen to that by the time this episode's out. But we touched on the uh, the subgenre of elevated horror and if it's a legit subgenre of horror. And, you know, since you guys weren't really on that show, Elevated Horror is essentially a more, uh, instead of relying on traditional horror tropes and mechanisms, there's an emphasis on drama, uh, emotions, and psychological stuff. And it's meant to be more scary than, you know, your traditional horror stuff. So that's essentially what Midsummer is, along with her hereditary. Okay, yeah. Fair, because it was very emotionally horrific, I will say that. So, yeah. Yeah, I love super duper scary stuff like because I when I was younger, I, I don't know, this is a little depressing, but I used to feel sadness all the time. And it's the only feeling that I enjoyed and was familiar with. So the next emotion was fear. So I love scaring myself. So this I like the fact that it was a different type of fear, like the type of fear, because when I watch scary movies, I would sit there and be like, hmm, how would I get out of this scenario? Or what can I do to get out of this? But the whole time, like, you're watching this, and I was like, like, I feel her pain. I feel his emotions, like, everything. And I'm like, this could possibly happen. I mean, it's a rarity that they're still, like, sacrificing people like they do. But it's like, you know, you're, you're, it's easy for you to move your body and get it out of the scenario, but it's harder for you to clear your brain and clarify everything that you need to clarify. Yeah. So, uh, last person, Solo. Do you remember your first experience with Midsummer and your overall thoughts? I had heard about it uh, whenever it first came out. I didn't get to watch any trailers or anything. Um, and I watched the trailer like earlier last week, and I didn't really get around to watching it till like yesterday or last night. It's a good ass movie, though. I I really liked it, um, especially coming from Hereditary. It didn't seem to grab my attention as much as Hereditary did. 
in that regard, I do like Hereditary more or over this movie, but I did really enjoy this movie. Um, yeah, it was definitely a different take. Um, kind of agree with what Hector's saying. I wouldn't necessarily put it in the horror, because half the time I did find myself laughing more than <laughs> being afraid of anything, because there's just some scenes that, to me, I don't, I don't know if I just have a messed up mind or what, but some scenes to me just were just funny, and some, some things are just like awkward or just weird in a way that just was just humorous. No, no, no. I think you're right on the nail with comedy. There is an emphasis, a small emphasis with the comedy in this one that there wasn't in Hereditary, uh, just because of the influences that I found. But I think this one is meant to be much more, I mean, it literally is much more lighter than most horror movies or just movies in general. So, um, yeah, this is a this is essentially a daylight horror movie. We don't have a lot of these. I know Shelton really champions these because... Yes. If you, you know, can make daytime scary, then that's it. That's it. Like, it, it, if you're not safe when the sun is up, you were fucked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it works. It can work. I just, I don't, it's, I think it's very hard to pull that off, especially when you have so many places that are um, populated. But if you can, I think daylight horror can be pulled off very well. I mean, some of Scream was in the, the middle of the day. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there was literally someone at the school. So I can see where it is. So was uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. People would fall asleep in class and stuff. And yeah, let me just say, I, I think. No, wait, no, that was just I, it's, it's both. Go ahead, Shelton. I think uh, a big reason why. So, like, you know, Midsummer hits really hard for me. But Hereditary does it in the opposite way for you, Walter. I think because Midsummer's tones are a lot about anxiety, which I can really kind of personalize with that more than I can with the the family drama and tension in the household, whereas it's the opposite with you. Yeah, I think so it's that's like a, a flip on that bias. Yeah. We're going to get into the deep stuff. Hold on there. Uh, last thing... <laughs> We got a couple more things. Uh, I'm going to talk about this, and then we're going to get into me and Chanel are going to get into the actual Midsummer holiday. But before that, I wanted to ask you guys uh, about cult horror movies and not cult as in this was once old and now it's like a, a, it's a it's an ironically popular thing, but like horror movies about cults because essentially, you know, both Midsummer and Hereditary have cults in them. They're considered cult movies, but I think Hereditary definitely leans more into the cult the cult vibe. Uh, I, you know, I feel like the cult in Midsummer is just there to kind of like help an explanation while the movie here is about a cult. So uh, do you, how do you guys feel about uh, horror movies about cults? And uh, do you have any ones that come to mind? Immediately um, Rosemary's Baby. All right, pulling out a classic. Never even really realized it till last second. It's a that movie, though. Weird ass movie. Anyone, anyone who hasn't watched it, that's a strong recommend. Right there. Oh yeah, I recently rewatched Rosemary's Baby like a few months ago. It still holds up. I like both versions, the the old one and the TV remake with Zoe Saldana. It's really timeless classic. Yes. Even though the director is like a you know criminal. <laughs> Wait, 
I think he's a uh, yeah Roman Polanski. He's the one that uh, statutory rape and then fled the country so he wouldn't be arrested. Oh, Manson murders took place. Well, it was. I don't think it was his house. Well, yeah, it was, it was his house. I think, but yeah, he was uh, engaged and uh, was having a baby by Sharon Tate. But then Charles Manson's cult came and murdered her and the Fulgers' uh, daughter, Fulgers' coffee heir, and so yeah. While Roman was out filming a movie out of the country, so uh, yeah, cult movies. I I don't I don't seek them out. I don't think they're my favorite. I think whenever you put a cult in a movie, or just have like a cult uh, a horror movie about a cult, it for me is normally a surprise. Uh, but there are some like great ones out there. Rosemary's Baby is the number one, number one that comes to mind. It's kind of a spoiler, but I mean the movie's like you know fifty plus years old now. So, uh, but another one that comes to mind is Ch- Children of the Corn. <laughs> All nine of those movies with a tenth one on the way. Uh, are you serious? Are you <laughs> there are there are, yes, there are nine Children of the Corn movies. I remember because I watched them all. So they were all on Netflix in like 2015. And I remember watching all of them, and I can't tell you which is which other than the first one, which has Linda Hamilton in it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there. So Stephen King. It's a number. It's another uh, great cult movie just a franchise there but uh yeah it's the tenth one on the way they did they filmed it during COVID. it's been under wraps but there's a there's one coming uh another one but i think the most accurate like my favorite is definitely american horror story cult like that's where you gotta get the sweet spot there i almost forgot about american horror story <laughs> cult was a really good season I don't want anything like Coven where it just drags for like episodes and episodes. It's it loses the plot the longer seasons. Yeah. If they keep it short and they don't do a hotel, they're good. I liked hotel though. But a hotel yeah, has but problems. You liked it for different <laughs> reasons. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Hotel has major problems. Hotel just didn't grab my attention. I don't know what it was. I've tried to I've tried going back and watching it like three or four times. <coughs> Each time I can only get like halfway or like the- That's how I feel about Asylum, Hector. American Horror Story Cult was definitely a great little season. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. What? It was. It's. It's probably my favorite. I think it is my favorite season. Actually. I to really? I haven't watched um, American Horror Story since Roanoke, which was not even a good one. Roanoke was awesome. Roanoke was great. Loved Roanoke. Oh my god! I, I hate Roanoke. Mad as how short it was. I loved how short it was. I hope this next. I think it was just the right amount. It took me a couple times to watch Hotel, just because some of these seasons just start so slow. I'm gonna take so like like a good bit to like really pick up. But once it picks up, it picks up. You know. Oh yeah, no, they were murdered like ten people in front of you. (laughs) See, Hotel had that issue where it was like, all right, we're gonna start at a nice twenty miles per hour. All right, Mm -hmm. floor it. We're going. And we then, got like, it the in last, this season. Yeah. <laughs> like, we wasted five episodes. Let's just kill everyone now. <laughs> yeah. It's been too long. Hit the panic button. Yeah. yeah. You can go back to our American Horror Story episode. I think we explained it. But my, I love I love Hotel just for the aesthetic and the... I kind of like the story. For me, you get everything you need and more in that first episode because they literally tell you the entire plot and it's like oh well i already know who the killer is it's obviously the main character so vampire you know. lady gaga was the vibe 
Oh, yeah. Vampire Kids. I love that episode. It's my favorite episode of American Horror Story. The whole entire middle school of just vampire kids. Absolutely love it. But uh, getting back to the topic here, because I think we've wasted enough time. Uh, but yeah, movies about cults. Uh, the uh, I, I yeah, like there's it's a subsection that I don't really go to, but I enjoy it if it's good or campy, like with Children of the Corn or American Horror Story Cult. Uh, the, the most the most recent ones that I recommend uh, are The Invitation. It's a it's a it's, it's another it's a movie that starts off very slow, but it's it gets wild by like the middle, and then the Invitation uh, is wild. Yeah, The Invitation is like woof. Uh, I also recommend the Babysitter movies on Netflix. The first like one and two, they're so hilarious. Uh, I love like I, I, they're just hilarious. And then last but not least, Cult of Chucky. It's it's a great movie about a cult of killer dolls. <laughs> um, but let's me. well yeah okay so let's get into the last thing and then we'll go to break here. The actual Midsommar, Midsommar in real life. So I'm gonna give like two basic basic summaries of it and then Jeanette can take over with whatever information she has. But uh, okay, so Midsummer is a period of time in the middle of summer, obviously. Uh, the the exact date varies among different cultures. The celebration predates Christianity and and existed under different names and traditions around the world. Where this movie is obviously about Sweden. So in Sweden, Midsummer takes place in June and is a celebration of the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. Uh, it is the most celebrated holiday. Is one of the most celebrated holidays in Sweden. A maypole is created and risen during the day, uh, which people gather around and dance and sing, along with bonfires, feasting, and more. Uh, according to the Wikipedia article I was reading, it's a very good reason to get smashed drunk. A lot of people get drunk during that time, and a lot of people have sex during that time, which is why a lot of kids in Sweden are born nine months after. <laughs> what it was, um, for I guess for a lot of the times, too, is the main thing is... There's an oak king, and then there was the holy king, or holly king. And the oak king, which was, he was basically in charge of the winter solstice. And his job was, like, you know, part of Yule and all this other stuff. And it was just a battle between the oak king and the holy king, who was in charge of, Le I think it's Lethia, which is what they call uh, midsummer, I guess what you would call it. Um, and basically, when people party and celebrate was to kind of, like, help and be happy that he fought for finally, like, the warmth or harvest is going good and stuff like that. Um, just like, I guess, Thanksgiving would be to us. Um, they would basically gather all their foods and stuff like that, um, slaughter whatever animal was happening during that time, and they would basically eat it. But, uh, Jeanette, if you, uh, if you could grace us with your information on Midsommar. Midsummer. Yeah, but it was a great time for love magic. Um, when casting spells during love magic, of course, what you see in Midsummer when he was when um, what is his name? Chris was getting that love spell done on him throughout the movie, like woven into the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have this tradition toward every at the end of the night after they dance the whole day. At night, they do a bonfire to keep the light going. Um, they would actually jump through the flames to kind of like for good luck and to kind of like ask for blessings through jumping through the flames. But it's celebrate for like um 
I guess, I don't know. It's mostly for rebirth, uh, or not rebirth, but the the flower crown that they wear is to represent rebirth. Like, it, everything's a new, it's like a new year. That's why, uh, of course, a lot of sex going on. Um, <laughs> this is because of during that time. Um, everybody's getting all types of fun done to it. But because during the, uh, I guess, Christianity adopted it, it has changed a lot. Um, when the when it originally was a pagan religion or a pagan holiday, there was sacrifices going on. But that's pretty much all I have that I can think of on top of my head. All right, thank you. Yeah, I I find it all I find that type of stuff very interesting. The whole it was once or it was once pagan and then it got it got transitioned uh, through Christian belief. The it kind of got molded to fit into the Christian belief system. I have to say, and Sheldon's going to hate this, but the most interesting part is the sex. Uh, the whole fertility thing. You're such cool a hoe. Me. Leave me alone. There seems to be a theme with um, things like pagan holidays and things like that getting converted to Christian holidays. Yeah, Halloween is a big one for me, too. And there's Christmas. One big thing about, like, uh, I guess, pagan holidays and stuff like that and Christianities is that the Christianity is the Christians basically took over the world um, in ways that that's why everything's, I guess, a lot more mild than what it was, what it used to be. I think uh, Midsummer and translated in different ways, it came from the Celtics. And then I guess in Europe, they still celebrate it. I know Germany, they celebrate it too, but I guess it's a lot prettier in Sweden because all the pretty, pretty nice Swedish things and the pretty nice Swedish girls. And Swedish meatballs. The uh, key is the IQs. <laughs> All right, guys. So um, we're going to take a short break and then I'll be back with some quick movie facts on Midsummer. And then after that, we're going to get into the movie Midsummer. Oh, wh- wow. What? Wow. What do you think? It's like another world. It's amazing. Do people just sleep here? Yeah, all the younger ones, until we turn 36, and then we move to the laborer's house. Why 36? Well, we think of life like the seasons. So you're a child until you're 18, and that's spring. And then at some point, we all do our pilgrimage, which is between 18 and 36, and that's summer. And then from uh, 36 to 54, we're a working age, which is fall. And then finally from 54 to 72, you become a mentor. What happens at 72? All right, so we're back, and here are some quick facts on Midsommar. Uh, The movie was released July 3rd, 2019, written and directed by Ari Aster. The film stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson, Will Poulter, and a bunch of white people whose names I cannot pronounce, but they were all on, like, the poster for some reason. Uh, And the plot goes as such. A couple travels to Sweden to visit their friend's rural hometown, for its fabled Midsummer Festival, 
but what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly dissolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. The movie's budget was $9 million, and the box office was $48 million. Uh, Just some bonus facts here. This is a co-production between the United States and Sweden. The film was initially pitched to Aster as a straightforward slasher film set among Sweden cult Swedish cultist but Aster devised the uh, he devised the screenplay using elements of the concept but he made extreme alterations by using a deteriorating relationship as the central conflict after he experienced a difficult breakup himself the film was shot on location in Budapest in the summer and autumn of 2018 Said it was shot in yeah, Budapest. can you say Budapest again? It was shot in Budapest. That was it. You just wanted Budapest. me to say it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where is Budapest, Budapest? again? <laughs> Budapest. It's, where a, is it's it? the capital of Hungary. Wasn't there like a superhero movie, superhero movie where they filmed the movie in Budapest? Oh yeah, that uh, was a. Uh, no, it was just mentioned a lot in um, Avengers movies by. Uh, it's not Black even. It's Hawkeye. not even in Sweden. Kind of like their inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> this movie doesn't take like, the biggest lie ever told. This movie was it, never. It was never shot. It was sh- all shot in Budapest. Yeah, during the summer and autumn of 2018. God. I think that's dang. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I felt very lied to in um, in Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief. They didn't even actually come to Tennessee to film the shit in the Parthenon. They just made a Parthenon. Yeah, like a green Damn. screen. That's like the best scene of the movie, too. Um, I did want to touch on the actors because I like actors, but Florence Pugh, one, she is so cute in this movie. <laughs> I just love her so much. She's so... I just want to, like, hug her. But uh, she will... The next time we see her, um, this was kind of like her breakout role because after this, she got... Um, she went on to do Little Women with... Uh, Timothy Chalamet and Sorcy Ronan. I bring them up because she's kind of in that group. To me, she's kind of like a good mix between. She's a good female version of Timothy Chalamet. I don't think you guys know who that actor is, but he's kind of up and coming. He was in Call Me by Your Name. He's going to be in Dune this year, if it comes out. But uh, like, she's kind of the the female version of that, where she can really she can really use her face and internalize, but also like give off this distress like youthful like emotion that kind of helps her acting wise but uh she was really good in little women the remake uh from like a year or so ago but uh she's actually in black uh widow uh, that will be coming out later this year uh she plays natasha's sister and um you know spoiler alert but she is the next black the next black widow moving forward in the marvel universe so we will we will be seeing her um if you're watching falcon and winter soldier right now yeah, if you're watching Falcon and Winter Soldier right now, expect her to show up in. I would expect her to show up at the end of that show. That's how uh, recent. That's how uh, involved she's gonna at be. At this point in time, only two episodes left, and that really upsets me. Oh yeah, they shortened a lot, but they covered a lot too. Uh, one thing next... that's crazy though is that every single one of the like all the cast, they're all like English people, like or all European. Not one of them is American. <laughs> all of their accents are so thick but uh yeah another actor i want to oh. touch on is um the one that plays christian jack rayner 
This man has been in so much, and he plays the same character with the same fate. He's always the douche that gets, like, bitched out and then dies. The first time I remember seeing him, and I thought he was just weird. He was in uh, Transformers 4, Age of Extinction. Uh, he did, And, you know, last week we talked about uh, Tom Holland's asshole in uh, Cherry. He's in that <laughs> movie, too. He plays Tom Holland's drug dealer, and... <laughs> Spoilers, but I mean, like, I don't recommend the movie anyway, but he's he plays the same kind of like college douchey dude down to the whole like vest he wears, like this like puffy vest jacket. But like, so in the movie, it's, it's like towards the end, but he he helps Tom Holland rob a bank because he's white and he just kind of wants that experience while Tom Holland's like, dude, I need this because I need drugs. And he's just like, yeah, I want to have fun. But then like once they rob the bank, he like ditches him. And the next time we see him, he is literally bleeding out of his stomach because he got shot by the cops and ran off. And <laughs> once he dies, Tom Holland and some other guy just leaves him on the side of the road and then take his clothes. <laughs> <laughs> This man gets, like, he just gets no respect in any movie he's in, and it's so funny to me. <laughs> hey, well, we're going to talk about what happens to him in this movie, but yeah, he always plays, like, the douchey dude, and then he gets, like, completely bitched out by the end and then dies. Which I guess I guess you need that. You need a good person to die. Uh, last but not least, uh, Will Poulter. We touched on him a little bit, but, like, I know Will Poulter just from, like, We're the Millers and uh, the Maze Runner series. <laughs> he was pretty funny. He was, he was... <laughs> I, I also know him from Toy Stories. He's Sid. <laughs> Does he just look... <laughs> okay. No, he looks just like him. Does he not? <laughs> he, he looks just like him. I know... I think I came to... Like, like I said, I know him mainly from uh, the, the movies I mentioned. But, like, he was... And things would have been different for this guy. I think he missed the big shot, but he was originally cast as Pennywise uh, when they were remaking it. He was the original cast. He had got his costume fitting and everything, his contract signed, but the director he was under uh, left the project, and so they scrapped that version of it. And then later on, we had Andy Muschietti, or Andy, Andy I think it's Andy Muschietti, or Andy Muschietti. Muschietti. He's Italian. Muschietti. Yeah, we got him, and then the version of the two versions of it that we got uh, Andy is now doing the Flash movie, but like Will Poulter, he would have had a huge break if he was Pennywise because I think he he looked. There's a I think I don't know if there's any you can find the pictures, but I remember there's like concept art, and he would have looked really good. They were they were definitely going to use his eyebrows, like he had really huge eyebrows from what I remembered on the concept art. They were going to use that part of him a lot, but he I think he would have been a good Pennywise. I like Bill Skarsgård, but Will Poulter I think would have had a really unique take on the character. Um, yeah. I still like Skarsgård, though. Yeah, Skarsgård's pretty funny. Except He's for that. Yeah. Even in that second movie, which was fair. All right, so uh, we're going to go one last break, and then we're going to finally get into the actual movie of Midsommar. Christian says that you've got some special thing planned. Yeah, it's like a crazy nine-day festival. It only happens every 90 years. Up to 
the influence. And it breaks down your defenses. Trust me. Let's talk about Midsommar, guys. Uh, we kind of gave our overall thoughts. Well, you guys did earlier. But uh, um, I don't know where to start with this movie other than the fact that I am just very disappointed when I watch it. Rewatching it now, I was very pissed off. But I want to hear from you guys, really. Uh, let's see if we can get the conversation started here. But uh, first thing I'm going to say is just the fir- I'm going to just cover the first like few scenes because I think they're great. Uh, it For me... Again, going off of Hereditary and then rewatching it this time, I was I'm very much within I'm very much into the movie within the first act, which is, you know, it kind of it opens up on the giant mural. For me, it, it tells you everything that's going to happen with the story. And for me, that's the Greek chorus. If you take in the theater class where you get told the entire story before it happens. And then, uh, <laughs> and then there's this weird woman singing over the audio. And if you've seen the Snyder, if you've seen the Snyder cut, that's Wonder Woman's theme. Like it's the exact same thing <laughs> happening. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious that there's just random lady going <laughs> like it's just weird to me. But I, I think the real genius is the fact that we start in winter. And for me, that's like the calm before the storm. And we get a whole lot of exposition. Uh, with Danny and her voicemail to her dead parents and sister. And I think this opening is great. Just opening that, like, it kind of, if there's anything that this movie that I can admit improves on with Hereditary is that they immediately start off with this tragedy rather than starting off after a tragedy and then leading into another one. Yeah, that was one thing I didn't really like about Hereditary is that I felt like it took a little bit too long. Um, But with this one, like, you predict everything. Even when she's, like, crying on her boyfriend's lap. And he's not crying at all. He's just like, it's okay. You know, like, when your friend's crying, you're like, I don't know what to do. That's basically how he was. And it was, they were supposed to be intimate. But, like, he lives with a group of friends. He's social. He's a socialite. And she lives in a one-bedroom apartment um, by herself. And her boyfriend just comes and visits her once in a while and then leaves. And it kind of, like... It just shows you how she's alone in the world that she lives in. And so, like, when, you, when you're when you at the same scene of her crying on her boyfriend's lap, and in the background there's like, two moons, and there's, like, you know, moons circling around there. And it's supposed to symbolize how her life, she like, her she's, bought, she's ending her second life and beginning her next life. And, like, because, you know, she lives two different parts of her life. Oh, I keep saying life over and over again. But anyways, um... But even in the background of when she's by her computer, you see all that papers in front of her her, um, mm-hmm. her computer or behind her computer. It, it's like a lot of meetings, too. Or like the scarecrows in the background of all the uh, the scenes, every other scenes in there. And there's a lot of symbolism, even when her parents are um, 
how do you say when they're dying her her photo in the corner of the, the room has like on the top of her head is like real flowers that are sitting there yeah and like for a while people were like i don't know saying that who was who was their uh swedish friend who brought him there Pele. yeah they that, said that he planned everything and that he started from beginning to end but no it's like it was everything had to happen and like even with the um in the mural in the beginning you'll see that every his her parents and her sister are connected by a court going into like you know heaven or whatever and just like how they were and um connected to the pipes like there's a lot of symbolism in that movie and i absolutely love it yeah i, I i'm gonna let you i'm gonna i think we're gonna go with solo next but like the thing i want to add in here is that uh it kind of i see what you're saying and that all automatically feeds into one of my complaints uh i think i have three major complaints but like uh i feel like this movie just has a lot this movie is very telegraphed and there's a lot of foreshadowing uh but it's i think the difference between i mean hereditary does too we we explained it there but like it's very subtle in hereditary here he, he the director here is immediately i feel like he's overcorrecting what people didn't like about hereditary which was that it took a long time for things to start which i thought was the best parts one of the best parts of that movie but here like you're saying today every single thing is so telegraphed to the entire plot of the movie not just one section but the entire plot the entire character art and that really started to grain on me especially re-watching it this time uh but like i said it's 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 all in this beginning but i do like this beginning and i'll, I'll explain why after uh, we get a little deeper into it but uh solo what'd you think uh about the start of this movie and kind of just where it's at yeah, though, as something I we're kind of comparing Hereditary and uh, this movie quite a bit. But, yeah, no, um, Hereditary, yeah, I agree with you, though. I, I definitely liked how long it took for everything because in the end, it, like, it was a really big payoff because payoff like, it just blew everyone away. Yeah. Uh, Midsommar, I feel like... It was like that throughout the whole entire film, but I just felt like it was paced a little bit slower throughout the throughout the whole thing. Um, other than Hereditary, where it was kind of paced slow in the beginning and then just starts rapidly picking up towards the end. Definitely, I feel like some things were drawn out a little bit, and I kind of feel like things were a little bit rushed towards the end. But for the most part, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, there's a lot of things, you know, that... That was done right. Um, yeah, and, you know, the, the director, he, they even uh, went, you know, and studied Norse mythology and, you know, the Sweden and learned, you know, hieroglyphics and, like, made up the whole, whole, like, language, you know, basically for this movie. Like, there's a lot that went into, de- like, so much detail that was in this movie that can, I can really appreciate. Try to be, trying to be as historically correct as possible, you know, that's, that's pretty dope, but seeing them still having their own spin on it. Wait, um, I, I I think I have something to add on that. Though. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I think that's why he tried to do something different, completely different with both movies. Like with Midsummer, he handed us everything, but in Hereditary, he made us look for it. Does that yeah. make sense? Like he made oh. he made like the viewers look for everything that he put out there, and because like 
we weren't prepared for a movie like that. I think that's why Midsommar's like, here, like, I'm giving you all this stuff. Now you know what I come out with, so now you know what to look out for the rest of my movies. Yeah. I mean, you say that, but, like, uh, uh, I know you guys haven't heard our conversation from her, uh, Hereditary, but if I remember correctly, Shelton, that was a big thing between you and Javon that you didn't like the fact that you, I feel like, if I remember correctly, you felt Hereditary was more limiting because of its more subtle details. And once you watch it a certain amount of times, you feel like you got everything. But with Midsummer, what what's the difference here? What what's your you know initial thoughts? Yeah, going going back to that conversation in the other podcast about Hereditary, I, the the thing wasn't the fact that they don't tell you everything. It's just the fact that. Like, the, like when I watched Hereditary, I ended it off knowing pretty much, okay, so this is why everything happens. All these little weird things that were going on, this is why it was like that. But it's like, there wasn't anything more than that. And uh, I think that's where I, it, it kind of le- was left lacking for me. Just because it's like... All right, so all these things build up to that. That is why literally every single thing in the movie is happening. Cool. And it's like, all right, I can watch it again, and I'll notice more things that go into that, but there's not really... It doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot more that you can get besides just more explanations for that one thing. You know? Whereas... um, in midsummer because it's kind of a collection of events that they might have been meant to happen but it's not like a destiny like you cannot avoid it type of deal it's kind of watching all the pieces fall into place and then seeing how the character changed like the possibilities for all the characters change as you go through instead of it being this fixed thing that was always going to happen which is something me and you definitely disagree on. Uh, Hector, same for you. Initial thoughts, honestly, like going back to the first time I watched it, I know um, I definitely felt like it was uh, a quote messed up, unquote. You know, like definitely borderline spooky, you know, more so like it kind of just like gets to you, like, did, you know, damn. Also, like, kind of psychedelic you know they were tripping the whole time they were there basically basically they were under the influence basically the whole time they were there from the start that's how they induced them they broke them in with the mushrooms in the very beginning not that i wouldn't want to do mushrooms in that beautiful hill because that is a beautiful hill but I wouldn't want to go to this cold afterwards, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me go back to my <laughs> hotel and sleep it off. <laughs> um, yeah. Moving forward, though. Um, that, uh, the drink that they drank for, uh, right before the uh, ceremony, for, uh, like, right in the, the last part of the movie, the dance, um, when they're dancing in a circle. I think, I, I know at some point someone says it's spring water with special, like, all right, but but she said she can't keep a straight face when she said that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, she 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 gave it to Chris. Yeah, that yeah, was, it was love Chris. for Chris. She, it was just liquid like, Viagra. But everybody else had mushroom tea. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. It was basically just mushroom tea. 
Which drinking that? It's just spring water with special properties. No, it was, yeah. it was spring water with mushrooms. Um, yeah. it was a natural. Uh, and he, and then I was uh, I was pretty. I was into it because the visuals for it were were pretty accurate. I liked it. I um, that's one thing I noted. I was like, okay, so these that's really cool, you know. Dude, Chris looked so uncomfortable. Like, so, <laughs> so he looked like he wanted to die um, <laughs> after he took that last one, that last little drink. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think that's a uh, that's another aspect of the uh, I guess uh, psycho psychedelic uh, psychological horror is that being under this type of influence would be terrible when you add in this environment. You know, of uh, particularly when there's so many people and uh, you don't have much control in situations, uh, um, <clears throat> which would lead you to start being like, what's going on? You know, being that heavily under the influence. Um, like I said, like, you don't, he doesn't have much control in this situation. Like, if they wanted to, they could all take him away and he would, like, they definitely outnumber. Natives definitely outnumber the guests, you know, so the guests don't have much power or control. Yeah, so, but can they outrun them is my question the whole time. I was like, I would have been running, like, the opposite no, way. No, honestly. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was a could, long, it was like, really a, funny a good distance away from the town, too. As I was watching, yeah, I was, but that's what, that's what just, I liked about it, though. If they just complied, then they would be all right. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, nah, they definitely... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. The ending kind of tells yeah, you, know, they were like, no, never mind. They wouldn't be all right. <laughs> in a, in a, in a thing that I would like to uh, coin here is a uh, hashtag fucking Pele. This man, in my notes, I was like, oh, man, I just kept writing fucking Pele slash Mister Steal Your Girl in your life. Like this man here is just uh the worst. But uh, I would let's take a step back here because I was really interested mostly to hear your thoughts, Hector, because we had such an in-depth conversation during our cosmic horror series and your take on that. So here I feel like, especially with like annihilation. And I think there are some parallels here, especially when you get into the, the one with the nature theme within this movie, you know, anytime they're under the influence, Danny, she's like, especially her, she gets like, you know, grass growing out of her hands or grass coming out of her feet or whatever. Uh, I do want to hear your thoughts on that. But before we get there, I do want to say this because uh, I movies are done in three parts. You have the first act, second act, and the third. I really enjoyed this this first act. Like I said earlier, I think it's probably the strongest narratively of the movie. And that's just in this whole first act is just the the relationship stuff. And I was thinking to myself as I was watching this first, act, I was like. If you just cut, if you cut Sweden out of this entire movie and just kept it within that house or that apartment and just had this ongoing like relationship drama with Danny and Chris, and I know Sheldon's gonna hate this, but like I would have been perfectly fine with that. Like I would have been perfectly fine with these people. I, I I think it, I think the horror would have, and I, I I feel like that's probably what I was expecting despite seeing trailers, but like. Again, coming off of Hereditary and just like the horror movie at the time, if they would have stayed within that space, um, 
I, I I could be perfectly fine with that, but obviously that's not what the movie is doing. But I found that the most interesting, seeing Christian and Danny being in this relationship where they both want out, yet they both feel anchored. But it's mainly Danny's perspective that we're seeing. And what we understand of Christian is that he's just kind of a dick. It's like that uh that relationship type of horror relationship horror movie. You know? Yeah. Like it's the Bob book, but instead of a mother and child, it's it's a man and a woman. Yeah, but like so during the time that I rewatched it, like we're like I me like I just recovered from like a like a bad part of like me and Solo's relationship. It wasn't like bad for us, like we recovered and came back from it. But like I understood her like crying and in pain and finally like like I would be around Salo's friends all the time, but I put myself in that scenario. Like, I wanted to be in his world. I was never, like, about myself. It was just all about him. And, like, they didn't like me. They didn't want to be around me. And that's the same thing with her. Like, she'll come around, everybody's smiling at her, but, like, behind closed doors was that paranoia that was constantly behind her 24-7 when she was, like, with him. And it, like, hurt it. It hurt it seeing her cry, and I'm like, damn, girl, I felt the same way you did. Like, I didn't belong here, but I wanted to be with him, but I didn't belong in this group. And so, like, when she left to go to Sweden, it was, like, even, like, the grass growing through her hands was, I guess it was supposed to symbolize, like, she's at home now. Like, she's part of this place now. This place is where she belongs. And, like, I don't know. I, I, it felt good seeing that stuff. I mean, like, there's a lot of small parts that represent their relationship and how, like, them, they're separating themselves. Like, even when Chris was having that meltdown where he felt like he was uncomfortable, but you saw her blossoming and blooming. She was happier. People were including yeah. her in things. And then she's in her own world now. Like, instead of her living in Chris's world, she's living in her own world. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the strongest element for me within Midsommar is the relationship of Danny and Chris, or Christian. And as they, like, grow and invert, but also, like, I, I just think that's the most interesting part for me. And, you know, I feel like a lot of horror could have come from that. But instead, we're, we're more, the movie itself is more focused on outside influences rather than the inside influences that we don't get a lot of. Like, we get a lot of Danny's backstory and we get a lot of how she feels. And we get moments with Chris, but we don't necessarily understand Chris too much. And I feel like we kind of... We are, I feel like we're kind of pushed to understand Danny more, which is, I think, is the right thing to do. But, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel bad whenever I'm watching this movie. It's like, well, yeah, I understand Danny. I completely, like, sympathize and empathize. But, like, I also feel bad for Christian, too, because he doesn't seem like this is... At first, later on in the movie, he kind of shows his true colors a little bit. But, like, in this beginning half, I'm like, yeah, I Chris does seem like a dick. Just oh, He doesn't know how to make a decision. But, like... I understand he's he feels trapped because there's just so much happening constantly with this girl. Like the movie starts off with her entire family, not just a family member like in Hereditary, but the entire family at once, 10 minutes into this movie, dies from a murder suicide in the most creative murder suicide I've ever seen on anything. Like I thought that was like I don't know. My question, I guess, that I'm about to ask now is that how did you guys feel about this whole backstory with her family? Her sister is bipolar and she has a history of like sending basically uh, suicide notes to people. And Christian thinks she's getting attention. But 
Danny is obviously really worried about her, but this time it's real. She <laughs> she used tubes. She's uh, apparently she has an engineering degree, but uh, <laughs> she used tubes and attached it to, underneath her parents' bedroom in the house and taped it to <laughs> duct taped it to herself and decided, you know, carbon carbon monoxide is the right way to go. Let's do that. Or whatever comes out of fucking cars. But, like, what did y'all think about this whole thing here? <laughs> I I loved it. I thought it was, it was a great way to kind of show the issues with their relationship. But at the same time, it, sh- it showed the issues in their relationship. Yeah, the, the trauma that Danny kind of has been dealing with for however long before the movie starts. Well, I guess her whole life before the movie starts. And it shows how emotionally absent uh, Christian is to her all the time. It was just a great way to build and pull everything together in a narrative way that fit and push the story forward. Yeah, I'm piggybacking off of what Sheldon said. Um, I feel like, in you know, just the short span of time that they did, I'm glad that they didn't spend so much time on the backstory about everything it was really i really liked how like everything was kind of cut to where nothing was really confusing and everything made perfect sense without saying a whole lot um visually speaking quite a bit um uh, yeah you get to see you know the problems in the relationship you know it, it, it sums it up all in one little thing you know the the problems with her then with the relationship with her family and then you know sister what goes on and yeah no definitely was i was i was shocked to see like how how her sister you know did that shit i was like god damn <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's 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 yeah if there's any way to go out that's a fucking way right there yeah, for real <laughs> and, you know normal you know i, I don't want to say normal people but you know most people would say like a shotgun or you know, set the a gas stove. But you know, no, she said, "We got two cars. Let me use. Let me use one of them." God, yeah. Well, this movie's great though. Um, it definitely feels like. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a little bit. It's after the. It's after this point, but definitely once they get to Sweden and they you know take the shrooms for the first time, it definitely feels like they kind of got high and like. And kind of sort of feel like for the rest of the movie, you kind of get high and then like never come down. It kind of just starts escalating slowly but surely. Kind of like I love the slow escalation. But you didn't in Hereditary. Because in Hereditary, it was like the the escalation was so slow to the point where it was like it didn't feel like it was really built build up. Like it it, it barely built up. Right. Whenever the seance happens in there, it's like, okay, so at this point, this is when shit's going to keep on escalating. But it gets to that level and it kind of keeps that pace when it feels like it should go past that. Like it hits that high and then it kind of comes down a little bit and it hits that high again. It comes down. I really did like the death scene that they like or her her parents, the death scene, the, the way that the parents put out. Um, because it shows that she still cares about her parents enough because you know how everybody thinks, um, you know, I'm happy that they died in their sleep. I'm happy that they died in their sleep. And it's actually the worst way to go out. And I think it still shows that that she still loves her parents. And, you know, them dying in their sleep is a peaceful way for 
I guess, a sister to take it and Danny would take it. Um, but I feel like she feels like she didn't deserve to live anymore. That's why she forced it across her face. That's why she forced herself to do that. And a lot of the times when people shoot themselves or like kill themselves with shotguns or like guns and stuff like that, it's a lot harder to like, you can easily miss and you can like dodge that. You know what I mean? Like you can yeah. shoot a piece of your brain and still survive versus like carbon monoxide where you're asleep. You can't really avoid it if you're like dead asleep. You don't even know what's going on. Um, and I feel like that's why she did that. And she forced it upon herself though, too. And to die slowly. And I feel like she, uh, while she was messaging Danny, like all this other stuff, she still had a couple seconds before she like, you know, offed herself to tell her sister like, bye. Yeah. It's, it's a sad, it's a tragic situation over and over and over again. You feel her pain. I'll say that though. Quick interruption. But yeah, no, you, you, they didn't have to go as far as they did with her, you know? The scene of her in the apartment with her boyfriend holding her. The boyfriend is such an asshole. <laughs> for real. The man, he is not there for her at all. Man, it pissed me off, honestly, watching it. But um, I guess maybe they show, because they didn't honestly have to show the fullest extent to what they did in terms of, like, you know, the parents dying and her dying and all that. But they kind of, like, seeing that kind of, because um, I'm sure... I don't know if she, like, went and saw that, but, you know, seeing that and then seeing, like, how he treats her, I mean, you know, it, it takes a lot to deal with that type of situation, um, and having it be a fresh wound, you know, going overseas to a foreign country, taking psychedelics, bonding with people you don't even really know nor would have probably ever considered to bond on a deeper level than what seems to be the bond between you and your boyfriend you know it's all that it, that's a lot you know like and it's also it's really it's a uh, it's great because then you can see the position that the boyfriend is in you know he's He's in the toughest place because he wanted to break up with her prior to all of this happening. Yeah. And then her family dies. Yeah, like, how do you do that? (laughs) And and you can see it in his face. And you can see it in his face, too. I mean, he's a great actor because you can see it in his face. He's just uncomfortable, like, almost like like talking to her. He's just uncomfortable because he he looks like he doesn't even want to be talking to her. Um. But her introduction, the introduction of her, um, it would have been interesting, honestly, to see um, some of Christian's upbringing, you know, um, to see, like, why he was where he was, you know, like, he's pursuing his PhD, okay, well, how do you get in that position, you know, where are his parents, Um, does he have a healthy relationship with his parents, like, does he expect, you know, great things out of his relationship, you know, like, is like, sex a very important part of his relationship? Why is sex not so big of a part of the relationship? Um, or they is do it, mention you know, that. They do. Um, or is he just horny, you know? Like, is he just a snob? Uh, which is kind of what I got from it, that he was just a snob. Um, or, like, he just wanted to, like, fuck, which is, like, fine. I mean, like, talk to her about an open relationship if you have to, bro, like. Just adding what you said, I think it's uh, to put it in context. They later say that they've been they've been in this relationship for four years. So again, I feel like we get little hints of what 
Christian side of it is. And, you know, four years is a lot. I know we we know people. We have two, a couple on this podcast. There are people that have done way longer. I personally can't see how. But four years. Is, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, for me, like, my longest relationship was, like, two or three years. And I just couldn't, like, by that, by that, like, after year you get, one. It, it's a, see, this is where I, I always tell people. I always tell people. You get, it's easy to get bored of a person, I'll tell you what. But that's why it's important to be separated from the other person for a certain amount of time. This goes with family as well. If you see, if you see, you know, a family member or a person every day for four years, it's not going to be exciting to see them in the morning anymore as it was four years ago. And, you know, that's okay. You know, you get used to people. But that's why, that's why, you know, you can like, I don't know, like take breaks, you know, like uh, find your independence, you know, be independent, you know, like have goals. Well, yeah, yeah, that was the main problem with us for a little bit because it was me. Like, that's why I feel this movie a lot more. It's because she doesn't, she didn't have anybody and she doesn't have anybody anymore. Like, <laughs> she only had Chris. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, 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 she doesn't she even was, have Chris. Like, she, it seems like she hasn't had Chris for a long time. But, like, yeah. Because like, like, Kale approaches her and is like, I mean, does he feel like home? And, you know, now she has to beg the question, well, no, he doesn't really feel like home. But how long hasn't he felt like home? Yeah. yeah. And that was, like, that hit me more because I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, it, it was like, damn, like, the emotional disconnection. Like, I don't know. I took it in a different way because it hit me personally. And I was like, damn, girl, like, I feel for you. Like, leave him. Do You can do better. And I'm like, that's what I kept telling myself. When I see her going through all that stuff, too, like, people are actually caring about her, people showing her that she's loved, and people showing that she doesn't need one person for validation constantly or somebody for comfort. Like, she can go to, like, all these other people who felt for her. Like, when they had the emotional crying scene when he was caught cheating, they were, like, feeling her pain, and it it hit her weird because she wasn't carrying all that weight herself. She was sharing it amongst them, and they were offering to share it with her. Yeah. Also drugs, but uh, <laughs> this is gonna get trying to get the the uh, trying to move it along here. But last, I know. Okay, so I have one last question, and they're gonna shift over because the movie is called Midsummer, and it's not about this relationship. I mean, it's about this relationship, but it's not about this beginning. But I want to say, like, like I said, <laughs> I I would have liked to have stayed here if this were a different movie, and I think it would have probably you know elevated horror. That's what this movie is. Probably would have. Uh, worked better for me if it was this relationship horror story, but it's not. Uh, it's more of a fantasy, honestly. But uh, one, my last question is that because we get all of Danny's exposition and her backstory and the cat and her catalyst, and that is all. I count the time, or I look at the time, and it was all within the first ten minutes. Her family dies within the first ten minutes of when the within the first ten minutes of this movie. And I had, so, you know, I had to think, you know, does this work? Uh, I like the tone of the beginning, but we're 10 minutes into this movie and the whole entire family dies. So my question for you guys, and we're going to start with Shelton, uh, is this as or uh, more or less impactful as Charlie's death 30 minutes into Hereditary? Um, I think it's more impactful not 
thinking about it, it's like an equal. Well, no, no, her whole family dying is a lot more tragic. But um, really, a child? <laughs> yes, like th- this is her younger sister and her parents. Like losing losing your losing one of your parents is enough sometimes to break some like is enough to break someone, let alone their her entire family at once because of something she knew she should have been more involved and attentive to and wasn't like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I think that's a bit more impactful in the fact that the actress pushes that emotion of distress and. Just, you know, when she cries, every just about every single time that she cries in that movie, you feel misery for her. And it's just like, it's like, okay, well, this sucks. Hopefully things get better. I know it's a horror movie. It probably won't, but hopefully things get better. And then something else happens. It's like, oh, no, it gets worse. It is just this staircase going down for her in her life until, like, towards the end of just her having to deal with shitty experiences or just the trauma that she's been like given through those experiences, you know, and, uh, in, if we're, if we're comparing it to hereditary, yes, they have that same kind of trauma, but they still have, at the end of the day, they still have each other. Whereas she has a boyfriend who doesn't love her anymore and isn't good at being an emotional support person to her, along with a bunch of friends that aren't really her friends and could care less about her. So it's a lot more impactful there. Like, she has no one left in the world that she feels truly cares about her. And it there is no possibility for that in that moment for her. Mm. Uh, She's completely uh, alone. Alright, yeah. We're gonna move over to Solo, but uh, I just wanted to add in here. I that I feel the exact opposite. I felt the way you worded that was what I, that that the way you worded that was what I was trying to convey with Hereditary last week. But here, I I get that it's sad, but for me, you know, they say the worst pain anyone could ever feel is the loss of a child, and I I kind of stand by that. I mean, a thirteen year old girl was decapitated brutally but like her entire family dying that is a i feel like i don't know Let, let's move over to solo that's, because well, well let, let me just say real quick on that that specific category categorization though the worst feeling that someone can experience is a child dying but the thing is there's so many circumstances where people might not have a child they might die before their child like you know what i mean you're gonna lose a parent or possible well siblings more of a possibility too but it's just the the fact that that same type of pain can be expressed in that way to someone for for a different family member you know it it doesn't really like it's not gonna it's not something that everyone can relate to because everyone doesn't have children that's why they say it's the worst pain you can feel because Nobody, not everyone can understand that pain in that way. And that makes, so what's the point? Are you saying that's, it's that true. Makes... It's, I'm saying that it's more perspective, but being right. So you lose a child, people who don't have children can't understand that. 
which marks off a ton of people, right? But the thing is, like, you, when that happens in Hereditary, the mother is grieving with her husband, and they still have a son, although that, that doesn't really add anything to this point. Um, but the point is, she has her husband to grieve with, and she grieves with her husband. The character in Midsummer, uh, Danny, she has no one. That's what makes it more tragic. There's no one to grieve with for her. Solo, Hector, what do you guys think? A lot of a lot of mixed emotions here uh, in terms of which uh, strategy is more tragic. Um, I've been sitting here thinking, though, uh, there's a few things I would like to point out. Uh, in terms of hereditary, I mean, you, you do have someone to answer for the tragic event. And it is... It is so disappointing when a parent gets to outlive one of their children. Um, you know, that's uh, that's your blood. That's who, in a way, you become immortal. You know, your passings pass, get passed on. Um, and that's tragic. Uh, but for in Midsummer, we don't really have someone to answer for the for the crime, I mean, she's already dead. Um, and all that's left for Danny is to process it all. Um, and that in itself is pretty, uh, pretty terrible. Um, you know, that's not going to come easy at all. That's going to take a lot of time. And she uh, most likely is going to have to go to therapy for that. Just like, just like the hereditary uh, does. But if I had to choose... If I honestly had to choose between Hereditary's event versus Midsummer versus Danny's parents, I think I would have to choose Hereditary as the winner in terms of more tragic, um, even more emotional as well. Um, simply because we all also are there live. Um, when it happens, we're in the car with him and her as she's breathing her last breaths. And or struggling to breathe her and, last breaths. I mean, she yeah. was, she was well, dying of nuts. Inhaling, not much, but she's inhaling what she can. Um, or maybe not much at all. But case point, we're there with them when that happens. And the parents have to live with that. And... The brother has to live with that. So that's that's three folks having to bear bear the tragedy of of the youngest of the family having to pass because of the sibling's mistake. Versus Danny, whose sibling murdered her parents in a peaceful way, but nonetheless murdered her parents and committed suicide. Murder suicide. Yeah, honestly, I think I feel like Hereditary maybe just edges it out for me, just barely though, uh, because you know, and yeah, there's there's not you know there's there's a word for everything besides you know a child dying. You know, there's not a word for that. You know, there's there's widow widower from when your husband or your wife dies. You know. 
your parents die, your family dies, you know, there's orphan, but, you know, there's nothing for whenever a child, you know, dies. Exactly, like, and the parents outlive, you know, the kid. That's, you know, that's, that's terrible, you know. You know, what do we even say for that? Oh, uh, yeah, um, Falcon and Winter Soldier said it best. Great show, you know, I can't, <laughs> uh, can't wait to see what's going on with it, but... Danny, dude, oh, because I feel like she could also have survivor's guilt because of not being like in touch with her family like that and being out of you know out of touch with her family. That could definitely be a really big thing playing into it. You partly feel responsible for what happened. You know, I've been playing into survivor's guilt and you not not being there for her sister, her for, for her family. A loss like that, you know, just instantly and, you know, not being able to say anything. Like, the hopelessness she felt and the powerlessness, like, to where even, you know, even when she tries to call, like, even when she does call Christian in the beginning, she's super hesitant. Yeah. You know, who to turn to. She doesn't even want to talk to him, like. (laughs) (laughs) Well. It definitely shows, yeah. you know, how alone she is, and you know that's, you know, that's a big, you know, fear of mine sometimes is being fully alone. Times I, I want to be nothing but alone, but there's times where it's like, nah, no, I got, you know, I gotta have some type of company. It's like, uh, it's like Pell said, he had lost his parents too, but the only difference between him and her was that he had a full community to be there for him, you know, to consult and you know to to talk it out to process with you know versus she's alone and having to process this on her own and she's not open to processing this with other people every time it comes up she wants to be alone and escape it she wants to escape her thoughts and she just wants to run away and you can see this because she just wants to escape every and any situation until she inevitably just gets distracted enough to think of you know outside of that subject yeah we get that awesome transition from the uh pele being all heal my child to the airplane which is uh oh yeah probably like one of the best shots of this entire movie probably one of the best um so yeah let's let's liven things up by getting into the actual like funny stuff of this movie. I know we spent a long time on the 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 drowerness, which is again my favorite one of my favorite elements of this movie that I wish would have stayed with it, but instead we kind of we kind of leave this dreadness that is similar to Hereditary and some other elevator horror films, but here we end up going into a more I call it like the director called it a fairy tale. It seems to be more of a fan a fantasy. I mean, like again, I I get uh, immediately when they get on the plane and they get off the plane and everything. I'm starting to get annihilation vibes. Like that's what it starts to feel like to me. Like you're stepping into this different like space and things just start immediately start bending. Like uh, Hector's in solos that earlier they start munching on mushrooms and drinking teas and stuff. So, uh. Let's start. I'll start with this because, you know, uh, like the Pele, they have that whole conversation about dead families. And, you know, it's always a great way to start a relationship or a friendship by talking about your dead family. I mean, just ask Batman and Superman. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think what really 
uh, you know, although I'd like the beginning, I think I really start to dig the 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 vibes of, you know, like I said, Annihilation, but also Texas Chainsaw. I love the shot. It kind of mirrors the shot from Hereditary where Annie's walking in the hallway in the third act, but it kind of, the camera kind of flips over. But here we get them in a van, very much so like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and they're stepping into this or driving straight into this new horrifying world. Uh, what did you guys think about them? Just, just, just this pretty much the second act here. We're getting into the village, or the the commune, or whatever it's called, and they're they're be, in, they're starting to integrate in. We get more characterization of the friends. It was kind of like the first thing you notice is the color change and like the instant scenery change and everything. Um, and her still feeling like away from everybody and like. Everybody else was freaking out, and when she realized that she was drifting away, like especially when I guess when they finally took the edibles together, um, and she was kind of drifting away from the group and starting being part of the area itself, is what scared her the most. And I think it was like um, her kind of like fighting the fact that this is where she needs to be in life, and like it goes back to where like her parents' death. And it was important to show that at the beginning because that's the beginning of her second life. And I know I say that a lot, but it's like everybody goes through um, different phrases or phases. Like you don't just live one life. Like you evolve and you're a different person than you were like three days ago. Um, but I loved it. I love how like everybody was so nice to her and even the scene or a couple, I guess it's for the third act. But um when she starts actually understanding what they're saying and it shows how like welcoming they are and like how every, even when, um, what's that guy's name? What character does Will play? I'm trying to remember. Mark. Um, yeah, Mark. Mark, even when Mark's like insulting everybody and think he's like top dog, but really he's like trash there. <laughs> and it shows you what like part they actually really do play in her life instead of her putting everybody at the high standards. Where they didn't belong, but yeah. So we're at the we're at the hilltop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much like the first trip, basically. Let's start there. Like them getting okay, into yeah. that field. That's, what do you mean first trip? They get high and they just they, they just don't come down after no. Neither yeah. do we, <laughs> neither do we as an audience. We we don't come down because it's it's just boom 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 after. You you think it's you think it's a it's a calm. That's right before the storm hits, and that's repeatedly. Yeah, I I like I like this little middle section where they're in the field because it feels like a cattle like ranch. Because like Pele, he he kind of like they, there's this there's this in between section before they go into the actual town, and they all start to get high there. But it's like, all right, guys, here's where we're gonna start stop for the night, and they're gonna keep going in the morning. Here, meet my brother and my sister and their American friends. I'm like, okay, well, that's red flag number one. They've got they all of the people who are native there have American friends. You're all dying. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, it, I thought it was freaking awesome when he introduced them to his brother, or whatever. His two, his brother brought those two farmers who ended up together. Yeah. And. They end up both getting sacrificed and dying because I know he chose them, chose them for a reason. I feel like he was high-key salty the fact that she ended up with um, that other guy instead of him. And that's yes. why he brought her there for them to die. Like, he brought them to die there. Yeah, and, like, Connie just and like, 
Yeah, and I feel like they all picked him for a reason. And like, what was his name Pele or whatever? Pele. He picked like yeah, he picked his friends because they're all assholes, and he knew it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like every single one of them is bad. And the like, I guess who was the black one? He was just there because he was just nosy as hell. The and he black. was like, you know what? All right, another one as extra, because they, because you remember you hear them say, um, we bring a lot of people here because one like incest and stuff like that inbreeding, um, and all of them are all white. You think none of them were gonna mate with the black guy? Like none of them wanted to. He was gonna die no matter what. He already I, had a mark on his head. <laughs> yeah, I I noticed that too. I'm like, this is like the one dark. There's three like people of color in this movie but like the one dark-skinned guy yeah they're not mating with him he's just kind of like fodder but uh yeah i totally know what you mean there let's let's get into these homies real quick is what i kept calling them in the in my notes here but yeah so we got go ahead actually actually i do want to talk about the uh the hilltop scene okay yes because i i that i think is my favorite scene of the whole movie just honestly because um it's like the whole the whole time when they're uh, when everybody else is very enchanted by being in Sweden and all that stuff. Danny's not, you know, <laughs> and it's just I I can really relate to that whole. You have something bothering you and you can't really get that feeling away, no matter how hard you try, no matter how far you run. Yeah. And then you you see that breaking point when they all um when they all take the shrooms and everybody else is still, you know, they're lackadaisical and having a good time. And for her, it, all she can think about is every, all the issues that she's trying to run away from. And so of course her instinct is to try and run again. And now <laughs> I thought that was just, it was portrayed amazingly. I loved it. And it See, was beautiful. Yeah. See, I got a different reading off of that when it came to Danny, like, okay. Yeah. The running away thing is literalized when she, runs away but for me i kind of felt like you know if you guys would ever want to like my first time like getting high this is pretty much i was pretty much danny like to me she's sitting there trying to control her high she's trying to keep her mind off of things but look as normal as possible meanwhile you got pele sitting there and like crisscross applesauce hands in the air folded you got christian there just kind of like trying to keep it together josh is completely gone he's not responding whatsoever he's just standing but my favorite is mark just laying he's like why is the sky still blue <laughs> all right lay down with me. everybody lay down and then i then it's like you know yeah, <laughs> that's what I wrote down. I'm like, why is Mark Shelton? <laughs> like, just, just like naming. I think every Shelton season. was on shrooms. That was the funniest part. Because I think Shelton Dude. was like, "Can I get a hug?" No, leave me alone, Shelton, please. <laughs> but what what I thought was interesting is that um, you know, during that whole scene, it, it gets like kind of bookended by the fact that uh. I, one of them mentions the word family and she immediately starts freaking out because <laughs> and like yeah, family is the word family was her like winter soldier trigger so, yeah so bad. <laughs> it, it gave her vietnam flashbacks that's how bad that shit was uh, yeah really i'm telling did. you it was it was the winter soldier code words for her like she was, she like she ran into that outhouse, and then she has like her vision of her sister behind her. I don't know if you guys caught it, but it's like a yes. flickering light. It walks outside, all of the Americans are laughing at her, and then <laughs> she runs into the woods, and they don't find her till six hours later. 
They were just uh, honestly, they're really bad at looking. She could have fucking died. Yeah, like her yeah. fault for running. It is her fault for running, but it also shows how little everybody else cared about her. Except for Pele, but does he really Except care about her? Yeah, That's his wife. he did. <laughs> Mister Steal Your Girl and Your Life. <laughs> where where would Act Two end at? Because I don't want to go too far into Act Three. Act two, I feel, ends when. Um, where does Act two end? I want to say Act. Man, this movie is long too. Act one, def... Act one definitely ends when they get when they get to Sweden, because then you're there within the the middle. The middle is very long, but I think Act two pretty much ends with, um, the first. I think Act two is ends with the first death, or maybe the second. Who dies first again? No, Act Two. Be, Act Two ends for me when, uh, it, it's a Dan, it's Danny's scene. Yeah. So Act Two begins with them and in the field, and then uh, Act Two would pretty much end around the uh, it's after the big drop. That's kind of beginning. It that's kind of like still the beginning. I want to say Act Two ends with the uh. With Connie and Simon disappearing, because at that point, uh, Danny is kind of catching on. So oh. that would be it. Would be before the core. Act three begins with the core group starting to like disappear and die off. So yeah, act, yeah. So act two would pretty much be Danny is still very much paranoid, but uh, Christian's making his little selfish moves with the whole term paper. And uh, yeah, it's 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 where the I I kind of you can kind of track the the movie with the relationship diverging, where Danny is starting to ascend while Christian is descending. Yeah. So um, I was going somewhere with that, and then I totally freaking forgot. <laughs> but no, it was uh, it had to do with something. Oh. What Hector said about um, um, him talking about his parents dying in a fire, and like yeah. I low key feel like he, they were sacrificed too, and like that's why he was. It was a little bit easier for him to get over it because they the were board fire. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we never see the board fire. Yeah, mm. but um, another thing is is that you can see like her falling apart even with. Uh, Chris, who totally forgot about her birthday and forgot about everything that had to do with her. And I was like, damn, that's heartbreaking. And even then, she was like, yeah, you know, I'm done. Yeah, go ahead. Do whatever. All right. Oh, you forgot my birthday? At this point, I don't care no more. It's usual. In comes Mr. Waddling Pedlet, Ped, Ped, whatever the hell his name is, Mr. Studio <laughs> Girl slash, you know, I drew you a picture. Happy birthday, Danny. And then immediately goes and tells Christian, hey, you forgot her birthday. Well, but, yeah, because at the end of the day, he cares about her. Like, like yeah. she, he knows that she, or he feels like he's, she's still in love with Chris. And what makes her happy is seeing that Chris cares. And I feel like that's why he did it for her. But then he finally realized what she really needs to do is leave him. This flame between Christian and Danny is just not lighting anymore and it's going nope. out. I, I did not notice that about the candle and oh, I, I think that's amazing. I love that. That yeah. sounds great. 
Because I remember, I remember that happening, and I was like, "Oh God, he he's just so fucking bad at this. He is so bad. <laughs> like, you know, Christian's an asshole. But again, I can't help but feel for him too. But it, like, I can't take that stance too much, or else I, you know, risk pissing off a lot of people, uh, a lot of social justice. But like, <laughs> you know, I risk being canceled for trying to defend him. But I can only go as far. But like, I, I mean, I've been in Christian's position before, being in an, in a relationship or friendship that, you know, one of you want, like, both of you kind of want to get out of it. But there's just so much baggage on one side of it that you feel like you have to stay there, but you don't really care outside of that. And we got this redheaded teenager running around going look at me i hate her so much <laughs> if there was a character i cut out like she's there but i don't think she needs all the time that she gets i would have cut a lot of her scenes out but that's just me but i'm turning back the floor over to you guys about about christian i definitely agree like i can sympathize with the whole you know stuck in a stuck in that feeling as though you're stuck in that situation because it's like damn like if i if i leave then what you know there's literally no one else but it's (laughs) like you could at least fucking try (laughs) if you're going to do that at least fucking try dude (laughs) you're not even trying i don't even know where he gets the cupcake from he just pulled out of his ass like probably pele it was just—it looked like a dry ass butt cake, and I was—it wasn't even a cupcake. Like, it was like a, all... a piece of like bread or like a piece of pound cake. <laughs> I think it was like a piece of pound cake. That's even worse. You don't ever give anyone a pound cake on their birthday. That is horrible. I I like butter pound cake because I feel like I'm gonna die the next day because how buttery it is. Okay, nice don't get any one of yeah on her birthday. <laughs> just one slice of butter pound cake, be like happy birthday, and just leave. Yeah. Oh, God, full dreadful cupcake scene. <laughs> dreadful. So he could have done so much better. He could have arrived at the compound, asked someone, "Yo, do y'all have a birthday ceremony or some bullshit? It's my y'all girl's birthday. <laughs> Can y'all do something for her?" Well, yeah, we'll sing her some what bullshit. Is- he could have wow. tried. He could have tried. <laughs> but the thing I mean, he is, did try. No, the he, bare minimum he, is no, it what trying. he did was put together a half-assed effort to try to, to, to make her not feel as bad as she did. Why? Because her parents died. Not because he loved her, because her parents died. He was doing everything he was doing because her parents died. Not because he loved her, because he wanted to be with her, because her parents died. Not because Fuck he even him. wanted to be her friend him. afterwards. Like, yeah. it was no, a- you don't. You're not friends with <laughs> someone like that afterwards. He didn't want to. He wanted all that bullshit. You know, I, uh, I refuse to believe he wanted to be friends with her afterwards. Oh, definitely not. No, oh, he yeah, wanted no, her no. to disappear. He was. He was definitely trying to like get out of there. He was trying to be all up in that 14 year old pussy. <sighs> Look, this chick. I mean, she's she's instrumental to the story in some way, but like God, she's kind of—I guess she's she serves kind of the same purpose as uh as the character from Hereditary, the 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 aunt character that just like kept appearing or whatever. But like, I don't like this chick. <laughs> she's just so weird. Like, she's putting her pubes in in food and just ruining food. And yeah, that's a real love spell. Really. Yeah. Well, in that case, if anyone wants to do a spell on me, you can find my... I would love my... to eat someone's pubes. 
It, it reminded me of Family Guy, though. Remember that episode of Family Guy where Meg <laughs> cooked Brian a pie and it had her pubes in it and he was choking for like five minutes? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Just... <laughs> and then Stewie was trying to eat it and they had the whole cool whip thing. Wait, are we going to talk about the scene? Yes, but oh, before we get to that, let's talk about the big drop. The most horrifying moment in this movie. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I love that, that scene. Oh, my. It was. Oh. <laughs> you know, the room he sank. had on there was correct. <laughs> I felt like even if she would have, even if, like, she didn't go, and he would have came back to the States and tried to put a move on her, anyways. For real. Like, Man, I, I would have. You know, She's was... so hot. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's so cutie, dude. I freaking love her. I can't wait to see her in tight leather and black pants. Hold on, she's wait, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> she's just really hot. I just, uh, but yeah, piggybacking on what Jeanette said here, I my favorite, 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 my second favorite scene. I think you guys know what my favorite scene is. But my second favorite scene of this movie, cool. and I think this is the most, like, it's the scene that I, I attached myself to the most. And that is when uh, Pele does tell... Oh, there's that's his name. That's when Pele tells uh, Christian, hey, it's Danny's birthday. And Chris, uh, Christian puts together this little mini cake and decides to go sing happy birthday to her. And at this point, she's like, oh, please stop. People are staring at us. <laughs> no, they. it's pretty obvious. you know. And I like this entire scene because I think not only is it filmed well, it's framed very well. I like the coloring and everything. But like... This scene is so important because it, it symbolizes their relationship in a nutshell for me to where Christian is is he lit this cupcake, but he can't keep it lit. And that symbolism of that cupcake in the in between them throughout the entire scene. And he's just relighting and it goes out, relighting and it goes out, symbolizing their relationship probably for the past, like, three years, seeing that, let's say that year one was spectacular. For the past three years, this flame between them has just been going in and out, and just, and, and by the end of the scene, he can't get it to light again. And I just love that visual, again, visual storytelling. Com- a director commanding a moment and saying, look at this. This is what the movie is about here. This is what these two characters are about. And that, I feel, is the is the jumping-off point to where uh, they start to diverge. Because she, she, she walks away from him, and he's just left standing there. And then we get ugh, a character I hate. Um, I'm a call, I've been calling her a uh, horny redheaded girl. But I absolutely fuck hate this bitch. character. But, yeah, <laughs> fuck that bitch. But, like... Yeah, but that is the moment. This single moment here, like I don't know if you guys like watch like uh, YouTube videos of like uh, they call them like uh, video essays, but sometimes people will take like I know uh, for the past couple of years there have been people that take like an X Men movie, you know, certain they'll single out a different uh, a single moment of like this is what this means and this is important to the entire X Men franchise. For me, this is that moment for this movie where everything that you need to know. Or just like everything about like filmmaking is is within this scene, the writing, and how that translates to paper, and how that translates to the audience, and how that symbolizes what the movie is saying. That this this flame between uh, Christian and like he was very correct with the like runes that he had marked on there. I was like, wow. 
oh my god yeah this whole okay so they have this whole system this life cycle uh, it's it's told briefly in a scene with Pele and the the peoples but basically they view aging like the seasons you're a child until you're 18 that's considered spring 18 to 36 is pilgrimage summer which i guess is just like you know i don't know and then you got uh 36 to 54 which is working age and that's fall that's kind of offensive if you ask me <laughs> and then you got 54 to 72 where you become a mentor which is a winter and in this ceremony we see that <laughs> well i like the scene because danny's like what happens at 72 and then Pele just turns and goes he does like yeah. the whole like he just points to the ground and she's like well that doesn't make any sense and then i and in the background i think it's either christian or mark and they're like not a lot of privacy what happens if you have to if you what happens if you need to jerk off and i'm like yeah that's something i would ask <laughs> But uh, the I like the whole I like the I like this whole dropping scene this this like this ceremony of these two old people and you know no one asked any questions and Pele could have gave them a heads up about what was going to happen but like <laughs> they all just gather around this big old cliff and then <laughs> they just we're old now we're seventy two years old time to die <laughs> yeah that's what I really do like it's because all of them gathered around. And they're very, like, how do you say, um, like, very emotional, like, screaming, yelling, throwing, playing around. But after yeah. that, they didn't talk about the death things because they they were able to, like, share their pain with each other and, like, everybody shared, like, the sadness together. Versus, like, you saw What's-Her-Face, Danny, she just, like, broke down a little bit and still was by herself. And that's why she, like, was like, are you not hurt by this? So what's his name? Um... Pele or whatever. <laughs> I think she was talking yeah. to Christian. Was uh, she talking? To, yeah, yeah. Like, why? Why yeah. are you not hurt by this? Are you not like done with this? I like, yeah, like <laughs> I do like yeah. The, a big theme is uh, throughout this movie, or probably the main theme is that emotions and pain is to be shared. And I think this is this is one of the things that separates this movie. You know, we I think these hereditary and midsummer warrant to be kind of compared, kind of like how us and get out are warranted to be compared because they're just so similar in vain. But uh, I think what separates midsummer and hereditary mainly is just that tone and theme. You know, the the whole point of hereditary is pain and just like, you know, it's pain that has been planned all along. Like, you can't run away from it. It's destined pain. But this movie emphasizes on shared emotion and immediate emotion along with just... It's for, it's, it sports a more positive outcome rather than the dreadful outcome of Hereditary. And I have to say, I I can't go... Another big problem is that this movie, because it... I mean, I guess it's just me, but like... Because this movie leans to be more positive, it, it doesn't work as a horror movie for me. And that's where I start to really, like, turn on it. And it's really, it's pretty much after this big dropping scene where I'm like, okay. I Even when I first watched it, I'm like, I'm starting to get what the point is. And I don't like it because that's not scary. But, you know, in Hereditary, Shelton and Anne... Uh, uh, Javon firmly said they they weren't scared by Hereditary at all. While I was like, I'm terrified of Hereditary, which is why I love it. But here, I get nothing. I get, I get the point, but I don't feel anything when it starts to ramp up after this whole dropping scene, and then people start going missing. 
But what do you guys think? What's what's your take on this more positive elevated horror film? For me, I guess um, after the dropping scene, it's kind of that, you know, the dropping scene scene applies that tension, you know, like we just watched two people jump off a fucking cliff, <laughs> one of which for some dumbass reason did it legs first. Yeah. Like you, you were not gonna. Your legs broke. I love that what he was so. He got his leg obliterated. That shit was <laughs> like, dumb, though. Like it was like, like when SpongeBob lost his butt from jumping off of that cliff. <laughs> it looked oh like God. someone just grabbed a sledgehammer and just repeatedly just smashed it in different areas. Oh God. But continue, Shelton. But like, there's that applied tension. In kind of that initial burst of fear from the fact of you know, one all I know everybody and everybody who watched that scene, you got that feeling of oh you're falling oh no oh yeah definitely I don't yeah I, I hate the feeling of falling I don't ride roller coasters because of that feeling so I I did get that from this so it's that it's that feeling along with the fact that you know they hit the ground is just you know visceral and gory you know like yeah. ugh, it's just a horrible thing to have to witness and then at that point it kind of solidifies the fact that oh yep this is the turning point this is when things are going to get very um i'm stranded in the middle of nowhere with people that want to fucking kill me <laughs> <laughs> or people that want me to kill myself which is yeah. arguably worse <laughs> yeah but it's just, at that point it's like okay they shown that everyone here is kind of comfortable with watching people die in horrific ways. Um, <laughs> all these people were brought here who are outsiders. They don't really, nobody really interacts with any of the outsiders besides the people that brought them there. And yeah. people are starting to go missing. So at that point, it's like, okay, defense mode, let's go. <laughs> people are going to start dying. Shit's going to start happening. Yeah, like it's, it's just that tension that's there. It feels like after that point, anything can happen now. Yeah, like you know, before this scene happens, Christian checks his phone to tell the audience there's no cell service out here. At that point, if I check my phone, there's no cell service. I am sprinting back to wherever the hell I came from and finding an airport. But like, yeah, after this scene, yeah, I'm with uh, Connie and Simon. They immediately throw up and then immediately try to get out of there, and they both go missing the same. Well, Simon goes missing right after that. And we don't find out until a couple scenes later that, hey, no one has seen this man that was here just two days ago. <laughs> the only person that cares is what Connie. She's the yeah. only person that cares or think there's anything weird. <laughs> oh, my God. But So and whenever someone goes, whatever, well, this also pissed me off because I feel like this is just wasted time. But I don't know if you guys know this, but whenever someone goes missing, they come up with a very lame and obvious excuse and everyone just goes with it. I'm like, what? <laughs> what this doesn't make like i don't know it just uh, it just really irritated me you know simon goes missing oh he left on a track there and there was only room for two people and and connie's like that's bullshit and then she just she has no choice but to stay there and then after connie goes missing oh yeah i drove her myself she will she left too and it's like well obviously she didn't because you're lying i don't know it just it was and like even danny knew he was lying that that's the that's the thing though about like like we said during the beginning of this when we started well i said at the beginning is 
Daylight and friendly people gives a false sense of security and safety. They were there for a good little bit, like a handful of days at, by this point. And everything's been pretty pleasant besides the cliff scene. So at that point, it's like, they, they wouldn't be crazy. They, they haven't shown any signs of that. It sounds like bullshit, but at the same time, these people were a little off and weird anyway. So maybe it's nothing. And of course, you know, when you have the options in your head of an extreme or something fairly normal but a little weird, it's like, yeah, you're, you're probably going to pick the fairly normal but weird thing. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But I, that's just one of the things that kind of... But, like, okay, I feel like... Well, um, should I say it now or say it? I'm going to save it for the end. But, like, I'll say this right now. Like I said when I did the facts, this movie was initial, was initially pitched as a slasher movie. And there's a lot of parallels in this movie to the first Texas Chainsaw, which was arguably a horror dark comedy. But uh, I just... It, it works better there because things are happening so quickly but because this is elevated and slowed down you are trying my patience if you're not giving me substantial continuous drama and dread to work with like in hereditary or even with something that even more comedic like uh get out you're i'm starting to pay attention to, uh, pay attention to other things and that's where i'm starting to poke holes because you know they're just they're verbally like you know the whole thing is uh you know show don't tell they're verbally telling us you know hey people are going missing because this happened and it's like well okay i don't know i i just again i start to turn on this movie because of just how it's just staged it's i don't know it just doesn't i'm not feeling anything off of it basically if that makes sense uh yeah i mean i could i could see how that I can see how that would yeah, yeah. Because, like, with Hereditary, as I said, I, I'm constantly feeling something that is growing. In this movie, like you were saying, Shelton, it's a, like, you know, Solo called it a high that you don't really come down from. But really, it's like something happens and then you kind of stay up there and then you just kind of wait for the next, like, thing to happen. And then you go up another notch. And so there's not, you know, I don't feel very consistent. Again, if I'm labeling it as a horror movie, even an elevated horror movie, there's not a lot of consistency happening on the drama end or the horror end, which is bringing me out of the movie. That is until Christian decides to screw his friend over his uh, anthropology paper, which is ridiculous but hilarious. <laughs> you know, after the dropping scene, you know, we got this black kid named uh, Josh. He's, uh, I guess, he's like the smart friend. Um, but he's uh, are they all anthropology majors? Is that why they're all there, or is it just him and Christian? And then Pele was like, "Well, I'm the foreign friend, so let's go to my hometown." Like, is yeah, that the situation going on here? It's him and Christian. It's Josh and Christian who are the same major. Um, and then the the other friend, the the goofy one, just kind of wanted to go on vacation. Yeah. And Pele is just like, "Hey, I can help you with your paper." <laughs> In blood. But yeah, okay, makes sense. Anthropology, I don't know anything about anthropology, but apparently Josh, that's what Josh is doing, and Christian's like, hey, I'm gonna steal this topic here. And I'm like, well, why can't they both do it? Is that like a is that like a rule? They can't both have the same topic? Like, they're both experiencing it. I guess it's more of a, Josh 
you know? Like, if you're doing a topic, you kind of don't really want to do something other people do because when it comes to writing papers and things like that, if you end up doing the same topic as someone else, it's really hard to make yours stand out from theirs. Yeah, yeah things are just, just start to sound repetitive. Kind of yeah. like writing about abortion. Really writing about any major topic that's commonly written about. Which is why I wrote about movies in college. Uh, but uh, okay, so here's one thing that I did notice. It's within this scene that we finally get Christian's kind of story arc, or at least something about his character other than he's just an emotionless dick. And uh, <laughs> Josh calls Christian in this moment. He calls him, uh, well, I still don't know what Christian's story character arc is, but ca- Josh says he's he calls him unethical, leechy, and lazy, which is basically Christian's character, especially as this movie goes on. Um, but like, what do you, what is Christian's character arc? We get Danny's fully. She's going from, uh, traumatized without a family to healed with a family. So what is, and all the other characters in here don't really matter too much. They kind of, they kind of take the more Friday the 13th stance where they all have a type and they all get murdered because of that type. But what is Christian being the second main character of this movie? What is his story arc? Because I couldn't really pin it down other than he's selfish and then pays for it. I pretty much get that too. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Okay, so it's just bad writing. Yeah. Well, no, I I don't want to necessarily like bad writing. I feel like he had reasons, like I don't know, like there's always another side, but I think the whole thing is that we're supposed to be following her on her journey, and we're supposed to be seeing what she he actually is, and why that, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, like, why she's leaving him, why she was miserable, and this, this, blah, 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 like, she low-key still blames him for, like, the death of his parent, her parents, because, like, she trusted his, like, reason, and because he pushed her and tossed her aside like that, and said, no, no, it's okay, you're fine, you're fine, like, they're fine, she's overreacting, and they died. Like, if if I were to call Saul and be like, hey, Autumn sent me this message, and this is blah, 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 he would have been like, call 911, and I'm gonna pick you up, and we're gonna go to your house real quick. You know what nice. I mean? Like, it would have been an urgent thing, because he cares, but it just shows how, like, he doesn't care, he don't care about her, but when he actually starts caring about her, he, she loses feelings, she's moving on. She's doing whatever she needs to do because remember at the beginning of the movie, she was like, he, he he's going to break up with me. He's going to do this and this and this. I'm just so clingy. He, she was so worried about what he was thinking about her. Now the tables are turned and he's worried about if she, what she's thinking of him still. Mm. Okay, good point. So but like, still. he has importance, but the whole importance is just like, we're supposed to be on her side and he feel like I feel like the director does a really, really good job of making sure that we're on her side with everything. Yeah, right. and that that can happen. I mean, we get a lot of versus movies these days where initially you do get a side where you're initially supposed to be on. I mean, most recently we got Kong versus Godzilla and you're you're on Kong's side because it's Kong's movie. But uh I don't know. When it comes to a movie like this I feel you need, if you're going to propose two different sides, or really three, but two different sides, then you're playing a very, you have to be very careful playing that game for me, uh, especially writing wise, because 
yeah, you want the audience to go for one side, that is the which is the correct side. But if we're gonna feel anything for about even, you know, let's say he's the antagonist here, if we're gonna feel anything about the antagonist other than the fact that he's just a dick, you know, you would wanna write a little more nuance into Christian. I think that kind of makes it uneven because again, we get nothing outside of the fact that Christian is a dick and then by the end of it he feels bad, but it's too late. And I would want more I just want a little more. Like, you know, we compare it to hereditary. You know, hereditary, I I got the sense that even, you know, the dad who doesn't do much in the movie, you get a sense of who who he is and how he feels. You know, there's a deleted scene in Hereditary where he was Annie's therapist and there you get that scene of him on the computer. Like, you know, even though he's not the most impactful, he's impacted. I don't get much of you know Christian being impacted by anything until the very end of this movie. And that just kind of weighs on me a bit. Uh, we're going to get to the end here. But I want to touch on a little thing that I realized while watching the movie. And it's the we've been comparing it to Hereditary, naturally. But I I got a lot of Wizard of Oz out of this. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the original Wizard of Oz or read the yeah, original I've, story. Yeah, oh. <laughs> this I've reminded seen, me a lot of that. I've seen a video that I was talking about that theory pretty much that not with theory, but it's pretty much drawn comparison to the Wizard of Oz. Send it to me. I need because <laughs> I want to know if I got the comparisons Super right. Because I, so I have here like Wizard of Oz parallels. Obviously, Danny is Dorothy. She's in this new world, but also she's dealing with family issues, and she forms a new family. Uh, I put down Christian is the Tin Man, or he is the Lion, mainly because to me. Christian is the Tin Man because he's heartless. He's, he he doesn't really care too much about actual people. He's kind of you know looking out for himself, and you know the whole storyline with the Tin Man is that he didn't he didn't have a heart that he wanted so badly. But I also got that you know he could be the lion because he's just a coward. He doesn't he's too cowardice to get out of the relationship. He's too much of a coward to tell Danny do not come to Sweden with me. And that just kind of, he's too much of a coward that he succumbs to all of everything that's happening. And that he's being, can I add a, a quick little note? Yeah, go ahead. So, um, if you notice too, in the movie, um, whenever like he's talking to his boys or even like that first, you know, when they get back about, uh, from, you know, from that party where him, him and Danny are talking, um, He's always talking through a reflection. It's never the camera's never directly on him. It's because he can't ever be direct with anything. I like that. Yeah, that's it. That's all my quick little note. Huh. Okay, yeah. Uh but yeah, I do like that. So maybe he is I mean, shiny reflections, maybe he is the tin man. Uh Josh, our little our black character here. I got a lot of scarecrow off him, mainly because he seems to be the most hungry for knowledge which is what you know tin man brains but then he could i'm not tin man scarecrow brain but he could also be the tin man because uh he he literally just gets like whacked the death <laughs> and you know if you know that story the tin man has a history of being dented in and everything and you know i, I josh is also kind of heartless too he doesn't really care about these people but he he has a lot of more he has a lot of passion so maybe he has too much heart that which drives him to sneak into that little building there. But then we also got Mark, our funny man here. He, I initially, he seemed like the lion to me because 
he does seem the most cowardice aside from Christian. But then also he could also be the scarecrow, which is just this like fearlessness that he has because he's just oblivious. He doesn't seem like he uses his head a lot. Uh, and then Pele is the Ruby Slippers because, well, he's just that that thing that won't leave. <laughs> I, I I'd say Pele is more the the tornado Ooh. because he's the one that brought them there in the first place and kind of fucked up everyone's lives. True, true. All right, you're right. Ruby Slippers are out. Tornado in. <laughs> I was like, ooh, he's a fucking pair of shoes. So, people start dying. <laughs> Uh, I okay. Help me, yeah. Help me. I thought thought it was really cool though. Um, Simon, how he was, uh, how he was killed. I mean, it's fucked up how he died, but it was a blood eagle, which is actually, you know, a Viking thing. Yeah, that's a. I I I love. I just wish we would have saw it. They just kind of. We don't ever see Simon. Yeah, because we don't get to see if he was actually alive during it. Because that's like I know that's like a big thing about it is that. You do the blood eagle while the person is still alive and breathing. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like a little thing where it kind of shows that he might have been alive because his lungs were still moving, but it wasn't really a, like a direct confirmation. Yeah, it's him being into like him. Mm, I guess the whole thing with like individuality and stuff like that. No, because his his lungs were like inflating and deflating, so I think he was barely alive. Yeah, but like, uh, so that's a, that's touching on a, another problem I had with this movie, and I guess I'll get into it now. I was gonna save it for my end, but like, like I said, this movie was initially pitched as a slasher. I think if there's one wrong move for me, you know, I, you know, I think this probably should have stayed at the bases a slasher movie, and by that I mean we should we probably should have seen these kills. I you could do it in a very unique way. I mean, again, you, Friday Thirteenth, you never see who, who the killer is. You just see hands and like knives and stuff. You could do the same thing here, and I think that would again same would come with off. Yeah, you could, it it would come off better as a horror movie, other than people disappearing, lame excuse, and then we see their bodies later. I would have. I mean, again, I. I don't know if you remember the Shelton, but like, you know, I said I wanted to see someone create a elevated slasher movie. Well, this is your chance here. You you I mean, elevated slasher here. If if you would have cut out the scenes of them making up excuses of why people were le- were missing and just added in the actual kills, much like uh Josh in the little library or whatever, if you would have just added the actual kills, then that would definitely would have fixed this movie for me. But we don't get that. But I I don't know. I feel like this movie should have remained at its base level a slasher movie while also keeping the elevated themes it has. But what do you guys think? I, I think that it it worked the way that it did because, you know, it was the whole elevated horror thing. But it was really it was very like. I think it was the type of thing where it was really trying to make you kind of think about what the motives were to what was going on there. Like with the rituals, with everything, it was constantly making you think, okay, so I understand this this festival, but why exactly do they choose to do these things? And well, I it think, happens every uh, like 90 years, I think they say. No, I know the actual thing does, but I mean like um, some of the some of the things that were a bit more... like. 
with every, any sort of um, tradition, they rather stick exactly to what it is or they change certain aspects to it to fit the times. And so with that, you wonder why they chose to keep, continue doing the specific things and cut out other specific, like specific things. You know what I mean? So I think throughout the movie, as you're watching their festivals and things like that, it's like, okay, they're doing that for this, but then you, you get to kind of like, um, you get to the, the dancing part, you get to some of like the weird, the weird stuff they did, like the cliff thing. It's like, okay, so like going with the cliff thing, they do it for the end of a person's life cycle, but why exactly, why are they so okay with people dying so blatantly and out in the open and things like that? You know, what, what, why do they see that as okay? Especially since they have a, por a part, portion of their life where they go out into the world and experience civilization. So they've been introduced to normal life outside of that. Why do they still choose to come back and do these things? What are they achieving from doing these things? I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? The underlying purpose. Yeah. And what is the extent in which they will go to achieve whatever this purpose is. Like with the cliff scene, you realize that de gory, you know, visceral, morbid death is how far they're willing to go. So where does that extend to? It's I, good question, I, but I don't know if in, the film answers that. No, it, it doesn't really answer that per se. It, it kind of just seems like um, they're very stern in their beliefs in what, um, what the Midsummer Festival means. And so they're willing to go to the extremes to make sure that they do it right. Interesting, interesting. Um, ah. But I, I think that's why people not dying on camera and it kind of being off camera is good because I feel like it, it maintains that kind of mystery because yeah they're disappearing but it's like are they just murdering them because they're um because they're doing things they shouldn't be do or because they're being annoying or are they doing it for this greater purpose when when the guy gets when when the people are disappearing it's like okay they wanted to leave so they had to die um when the dude gets bashed in the back of the head he went into that place he shouldn't have been in so he got punished but then you see that their bodies are being used for things and with the blood eagle and stuff like that, you know, you, you think um, maybe dude got killed because he pissed on that sacred tree. Well, that's the right. Well, he, that's the thing, right? You can interpret it that way, but with what they did with the bodies afterward, there's a deeper meaning to why he died in the fact that it shows he was, they planned to sacrifice him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I think that, finding the bodies like that adds to the reasoning behind why it happened. And it kind of um it it also maintains the mystery. Keeps I don't you wondering what happened to them throughout the movie. I don't agree with that. But I see what you mean. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it would have flowed a lot better as uh again as a horror movie if we did see at least some of the deaths like by hand you have to you don't have to show it but like just like you know someone walking up on this dude and then boom cut but like i don't know just For little me, things would have helped it 
<clears throat> for me, I don't I don't need like I don't need to see someone being murdered to be like unnerved or have that feeling of fear just because a big thing for me when it comes to horror is the fear of the unknown. Sometimes not knowing is scarier than knowing. There's a lot of things in, even in life for us that we are afraid of simply because we do because, not know. Yeah, because we do not know or do not understand. Yep. So I think it, it holds detention that you do not know. Like, are they going to go back to the cliff and fucking throw people off? Are they waiting to do a ceremony where they murder them in front of everyone? We don't know what they're going to do. I, or are they already dead and they're not coming back? Or is somebody going to end up stumbling upon a guy blood-eagled? <laughs> like, you don't know, but like, and that's tense. I don't know. that. I don't think so. Because, like, that to be... Okay, I'll say this. From a writing standpoint and just a movie standpoint, if if we have people in this movie and they all go missing, I mean, obviously the mystery is there. What happened to them? Where'd they go? I, I Like I said, it, it seems obvious that this cult that was lying. I felt that when I first watched it. But like, if you if you give me a movie in which in the third act you show me all these bodies, I would have liked to have seen at least how they got there rather than being told that like hour an hour before. Like that to me is where I get disconnected. Like I would have liked to have seen something. Like we got to see what happened with Josh. If you would have gave me that with Mark, would have gave me that with Simon and Connie, I would I feel like that would have improved this movie. But they didn't. They they kind of you know they kept to that whole unknown factor thing about it but i couldn't that to me didn't because i don't i guess because i don't care about anybody in this movie other than chris and danny so it just doesn't affect me it doesn't impact me as much i think that's where i stand on it but uh let's go ahead and get into the end here and get into our recommends but i'll say like you know this final act is really good i think it does amp up the horror much like hereditary did but um i i said this when we did new when we did new mutants it'll it won't be out before this episode but uh in that podcast i explained that you know if my favorite part of the movie is the third act then that's an instant red flag for me that's an instant no because you made me wait two hours for something that didn't that you could have done much earlier and for this to have gone so crazy within the, like the whole dancing thing, you could have bumped us up to act like two, like the last, the last half of Act Two, and then have all this aftermath. But no, we get this dancing. You know, Danny finally get, completes her transformation into the cult, and Christian gets pretty much drugged and raped, and you know, tricked into having sex with his teenager. <laughs> yeah, what got me was when the old lady started pushing. <laughs> helping him thrust that's that's where i was like yeah i i uh, yeah uh, and, you know we got all I these be able to have someone just grab them. my ass cheeks and just start helping me thrust that's <laughs> <laughs> let me do it my oh, damn God. self <laughs> oh no oh the old women yeah, I like the scene. I think it's it's photographed well, not just because they're naked, but it just looks scary and creepy. You know, it, it does. Yeah, the whole plate looked like a salad to me, even with her like. <laughs> it kind of mirrors whatever they had on the table when she became May Queen. It, it looks like that same position, to me. But like, I don't know if I was the only one that thought this, but I could have swore for a sec that like one of them was in the meat pies or one of them was the meat pies that we're yeah, 
Yeah, somebody somebody was in that pipe. I don't know. Who. I wanna I wanna say it was Connie, but I think Connie's body was the one that looked drowned at the end. So if anything, I might have been Simon. Yeah. Simon was buried in the garden. Connie and uh, Mark's body were in the wheelbarrows. So I don't know. Somebody was in there. Maybe parts of uh, maybe parts of all of them because they were all pretty much dismembered. Yeah. Oh, it, it was probably it was probably was Mark dead at that point yet? Yeah, Mark's Mark was uh, the last one to go. It was probably Mark, because all that was left was of Mark was a fucking a sack head. <laughs> yeah. A skin sack face. of a face. Yeah. <laughs> we got this this final sacrifice and everything, and Danny decided, you know, I'm going to put on this flower dress and burn my ex-boyfriend in, in a bear costume, which I love oh, the whole dude, bear that, thing. That's so fucked, dude, because that, one of my biggest fears is, like, not being able to control, like, my own, like, body or self. Yeah. So, or like, or have any type of control of my body yourself. So, to just be paralyzed like that, and then like to not be able to be helpless completely against it all, and then just to get set on fire and to know you're inevitably gonna die by being burned that, that's that's rough, <laughs> man. Yeah. yeah, nightmare again. I wish we had more moments like that though, like being encased into a bear's body and burned alive. Like, you could have done this. Throughout the movie, like just weird things happening, but nope, we we waited a lot of time and it didn't really amount to much other than this is the completing arc of Danny's story, which is still pretty cool at the end. I liked at the end that Danny was able to smile and bond with her new family, even if it's the most like messed up way possible. Yeah, it's it's fucked. Yeah, very fucked. All right, guys, so. Final verdict: Recommend or not recommend for Midsummer? I I definitely recommend it. I feel like if you liked her um, Hereditary, I definitely feel like this is a very strong watch. It's got a lot of elements to it. If you're not looking for a just straight up horror movie, this has got some pretty good moments that are like pretty dark. Yeah, pretty dark humor, like unintentionally intentionally um, funny type deal, but. Definitely, I recommend watching it. I watched it twice, <laughs> and I watched a few different, you know, review videos on it. So, I definitely enjoyed the movie. No, I, I definitely recommend the movie. Um, I think it's it's one of those few newer horror movies that is really that's a really big one, and it hits those. It hits a good in between when it comes to story and horror. And it doesn't really try to it, it it doesn't have to try too hard to apply the emotions it's trying to give you. Uh recommend. Uh look, this was hard. I mean, I wanna like this movie. I, I really do. I like the director, I liked hereditary. I, I would have thought you would have liked it because yeah, because Me you like hereditary so much. Yeah, but it it doesn't his, his yeah. like for hereditary dims his like for midsummer. Yeah, and that's where I was like, okay, well, if I took that away, is this still a good horror movie? And I still rewatching it now and trying to put it in that light. To me, it's you know compared to Hereditary, I I am let down. I am I'm kind of hurt. Uh, I feel like that's the big thing is yeah, just the comparison part and wanting to compare yeah. it to Hereditary. But compared to other horror movies and other elevated horror movies, it's okay. It, it's probably I don't I don't know. 
I guess, you know, I said Hereditary is a movie that you do not want to put a first-time horror fan into. But I think you can take a first-time horror person to Midsummer and they'll be fine. Because it is more simplified and it's less... Uh, like, it has a lot of deep meaning to it, but it's less, you know, subtle. And for me, that, as a person, as a, with, as, you know, when it comes to movies, that just doesn't work for me. When it's, especially I, I know, when it's, I know what you mean. It, it definitely feels more like a PG-13 movie than a rated R movie. Yeah, like, you know, this is, you know, it's not anything close to, like, Insidious or The Conjuring. It's not that dumbed down, but it definitely feels like, like, you know, it's, People, when uh, a lot of things I heard when, when people watched Hereditary is that it, they felt it went too far sometimes. I feel that it was perfect, uh, but people liked Midsummer because it felt perfect to them. But I feel like Midsummer doesn't go far enough. Like I said, I think this movie could have done well if it was an elevated slasher rather than just an elevated like fantasy fairy tale type of thing. That vibe works for this the story that they're trying to tell here, especially like you know. Danny's character is interesting. Kristen's character is in- interesting. The other characters are funny, but other than that, I get really, I don't feel anything from this movie, you know, unlike, you know, Hereditary or even like other elevated horror movies like The Witch or Killing of a Sacred Deer. By the end of it, I feel something. I feel some kind of dread or loss or at least some kind of like something. But this movie emphasizes so much on positivity, which is not a bad thing, but like, you know, it, I, it, it just takes away from me. I, I think a lot about Texas Chainsaw watching this movie. By the end of that movie, the girl is laughing. She got away, but it's still tragic. It's still horrifying. This, Danny's smiling at the camera, and I'm like, well, that I waited. I watched two hours of this. So that's just, you know, it, I want to like this movie, but I, I, I just have to say overall, I don't recommend it. I, well, uh, looking at it in in when you compare it in that way, you're looking for you're looking for that loss at them, but this this story isn't about that. This story is about someone who's dealt with loss constantly and then being built up at the end after that. Yeah. But, but through, my... in in the in the most unhealthy way possible. Yeah, I get that. I'm again I'm trying to be unbiased, but I think it comes down to the fact that in horror and just movies in general, I wanna leave feeling something. You know, there are some bad movies out there where I, I do feel something by the end of it that, that warrants my enjoyment. By the end of this movie, I feel nothing. Like, I don't get any feeling other than, you know, well, that was that happened. I don't feel anything. You know, I, you know, I cannot compare to Hereditary. You know, I don't I think I feel the same way about us. I don't think us is a very good sophomore effort after Get Out. But I think I still feel something after that after that movie ends. But. This I don't I don't feel too much. It's not a bad movie. I'm not saying it's horrible. Uh, it's still a good movie. It looks great. Absolutely love. You know there are scenes and concepts in here that I absolutely love. I would love a alternate movie where it's just the beginning and you're just following them as they the deteriorate. Bits. Shut up. They just you follow them in this small apartment in their deteriorating relationship. I would love to see that movie. I would love to see an actual elevated slasher, but this movie as it is. You know, it's it's great looking. It's there's some good moments in here, but I can't recommend it because it's just I don't feel anything out of it. I don't see how people are feeling much out of it, other than the fact that they didn't like Hereditary, and that's the reason. That's normally the reason I see it, uh, what people get from it. But you know, I understand the relationship aspect. I understand the character arcs and everything. But I just don't feel too much out of this movie. While I don't recommend this one, uh, a similar movie that I would recommend is something The Village. 
Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village from 2004. Movie's absolutely redonkulous. It's it's insane, but it's pretty much the same setup as this one, except it takes place in Philadelphia, and it's like it's more of a gothic. Uh, it's a more of an American gothic type of movie. With uh, a Golden very... Age Shyamalan. Yeah, like it, it's it's my favorite Shyamalan movie, honestly. Like you know, I love Unbreakable and Split, but The Village is my absolutely favorite. So I recommend that over this. Uh, is that a better movie than Midsummer? Probably not. Oh, Again, oh yeah. Last 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 little thing. Um, the very the intro was very yeah. very um shining esque to me. Yeah. So. Uh, the Kubrick one, you know that that. Well, I mean, uh, Doctor Sleep kind of did the same thing, but that intro reminded me a lot of The Shining. So uh, yeah, that's that's where we end here. Uh, thanks guys for joining us. Or joining me and coming back on here and talking about this movie. We are almost done for this month. And we're going to take a big hiatus. But before that, we're going to get to Joker next week. And that'll be our last little before we take a, a, a long-deserved break uh, until May. But uh, thank you guys for listening out there. Uh, truly, truly appreciate you guys listening to the Murderboard Podcast. Now, so yeah, that's our show. Thank you for listening to the Murderboard Podcast. If you want more of the Murderboard Podcast, you can find us on Instagram at Murderboard Pod and on Twitter at Murderboard The. There you can ask questions and leave comments about the show. Please don't forget to share the podcast with family and friends. You can find us on most of your favorite podcast networks, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and right here on Anchor. Don't forget to rate and review, by the way. Uh, that way you can get the podcast out to more listeners and build our little murder board community. Uh, also consider supporting the podcast and helping sustain future episodes such as this by hitting the support slash link button down below in the show notes. Look for new episodes on Fridays and Sundays and we'll catch you again on the murder board. There's just one, there's just one stream Twitch streamer I watch. They live in, they're from Sweden. That's nice. They're, they're cool. They're pretty cool. They're pretty chill. That's but. the that's the story. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Bye, everyone.